0: 2020 has been a hard season for all of us and none of us saw it coming. The quarantine, the unemployment, the debt, the divorce rate, the hardship, the struggle, none of us saw it coming. And to make matters worse, talking about any of it, well, let's face it, it's tough and it leaves us vulnerable and opens us up to criticism and judgment. So our default often is to stay quiet, pretend everything is great, ignore the issues, put on that brave face. Any of that sound familiar? But today's guest, the two-time number one New York Times bestselling author of the smash hit, Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing, is here in the war to show us why we need to stand up and take action so that 2020 will not win. Leading by example, she candidly pours onto the pages of her new book, Didn't See That Coming, how she's embracing these difficult moments for the learning experiences they are and showing us that no matter how hard we fall, we always have the capability to rise. So guys, please help me in welcoming the host of Rise, one of the top business podcasts on earth, the woman who built a million dollar company with a high school diploma and free information she found on the internet. One of the most impactful and popular motivational speakers on the freaking planet. And if that wasn't impressive enough, she somehow in her spare time founded The Hollis Company, a media empire that produces epic content from books, to movies, to apps, to social and live events, all with the same goal in mind to give you the tools to make permanent and lasting positive changes in your life. So guys, get ready to rise and make that change with the unapologetically badass, Rachel Hollis.
1: You between you and Tom have like the greatest intros. The great I feel like I've got my own hype squad. I'm like, oh man. I feel very fancy. Oh. Right now. <laughs> well girl, I love what
0: you have done and then what you are doing right now in real time and speaking up and being very transparent and honest about the dark season that is upon us. Um, a lot of things, you know, most of us haven't seen coming. Um, And then on top of that, you're now going through your own personal journey and your own pre- uh, personal evolution. Um, And I want to start with a quote that really freaking hit me when I heard you say it. Every single day, we make a decision of who we want to be. And not making a decision is a decision in and of itself. You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. So talk to me about that, taking the ownership, taking the control, processing it, um, and how you're kind of working through this um, dark season, as you call it right now.
1: Yeah, so I think a big part of this work for me has always been wanting to show up in this space and every space as my authentic self um not better than i am not worse than i am but just sort of saying like hey this is what it is and i find myself inside of a season that is really hard um my husband of 16 years we've been together for 18 years uh we are in the middle of a divorce um which is uh brutal and anybody who's watching or listening who's been through something like this, especially with kids, I'm sure can understand how hard this has been and to do it in a public way and to do it, you know, with a community of people who feel very invested in our relationship as well. And so, um, yeah, I was talking about the idea this morning of that every single day we decide who we are and that's never, so relevant as inside of a hard season. And and by the way, I'm inside of a hard season for my family, but I think globally, we're in the midst of something so difficult on so many different levels. And every single day, you get to make the decision about how you're gonna show up and how you're gonna move forward from here. Because I think that when we went into quarantine, it almost felt like and maybe for some people still feels like can I even have the same dreams anymore? Like, am I even allowed to want that same stuff because the world is so different? But I realize in this process, not just quarantine, but also getting divorced, that if I lose my dreams, I've lost myself, right? And so whether or not it makes sense in a global pandemic to still have these same desires, I must. Because if I lose that, then I've truly lost like everything of who I am.
0: How did you come to that conclusion? Because everything I find is much easier in hindsight, right? And when, for you especially, girl, like talk about things coming down at you multiple times all at once, um, that's freaking difficult. And in those moments, it's not easy to see the light, to see what you're saying and say, hey, like hold on to the dream. Because in that moment, you're like, if I can be so crude, fuck my dream. I just have to get up
1: on yeah. the floor. Yeah, right. And I definitely went through that period for many weeks of like, especially when we broke up, um, definitely went through that period of I'm trying to get through the next 10 minutes You know, I'm trying to get through the next hour. I can't see further into the future than this moment. Um, Probably the first step for me was that I was in the midst of writing this book. I wrote a book inside of quarantine, which is wild. Um, But I really had something on my heart I wanted to say to my community, which was this conversation about how do we come through crisis? How do we we, um, come through trauma? I, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, have a lot of experience with that. And so I felt like I had some wisdom to share about how you could navigate a hard season. And then so I wrote the first draft. And then in the edit was when uh, was when our marriage ended. And I'm writing a book about grief. While I am in the midst of the greatest grief I've ever experienced. And not only my grief, but the grief of my partner and the grief of my children and our family and our friends. And my first instinct was, I'm not going to publish this book. Mm. I'm going to push it away to a different date, or I'm going to scrap it all together because I definitely had a fear that people would think that I wrote this to somehow capitalize on the situation. Um, And I also felt like I couldn't do the work justice because I was too close to grief. So there's an old expression that says we should never teach from our wounds. We should only teach from our scars, oh. meaning you should only teach the things that you have come through, that you have worked out, that you've done therapy for that have scarred over. You should never be teaching from an open wound. You should never be teaching from pain while you're in it. Um And so I felt like I was just sort of going against what I had always done. And all these things are circling in my mind. And I really debated it for several weeks. And then what I finally decided was my career, love me or hate me. My career has always been truthful. I have always showed up as myself. I have always told the truth about who I am and where I'm at. And I thought, if you don't speak the truth now, then you will lose a part of yourself when you've already lost too much. And so that was the first decision that I made that reminded me like, oh yeah, this is who you are. And remember this dream that you had and remember this other thing that you wanted to pursue. And remember, God, remember at the beginning of 2020 and we were like, oh, this is gonna be our year, 2020 vision, it's the golden age, like all these things. And I I was just like, man, you get to decide. Like you can come out the other side of this year and it could be the worst year of your life or you can find meaning in it. You can find what was meant for you in this hard time. And so that was the first step for me was making the decision to still speak truthfully. And then to be honest with you, it's funny, we haven't talked about this with anybody except my own mind. Um, When I was a little girl, I had a really hard childhood. There was a lot of trauma in my childhood. And that is why I have the imagination that I have. My success as an author and a creator is because of the imagination that I had developed as a little girl to take myself out of the world and environment that I was living inside of. And so when I was in the worst parts of the last few months and it felt impossible, discovering my dreams again and letting my imagination like I realized like oh you're doing that thing that you used to do when you were little I'm sure a therapist would have a field day but like on the worst days I would literally just allow myself to have the the vision and the imagination hey let's take 20 minutes and daydream about what it'll feel like when you own that horse ranch that you've always wanted to own, right? When you have a hundred acres here in Texas, like whatever those dreams are, when I would let myself imagine, just like when I was a little girl, it would help me sort of bridge the, the most hurtful feelings. And so the sort of the, the combination of those two things um, was when I allowed myself to have those dreams again. And I think the thing about me is I never put a timeline on my dreams. I never hold myself to a standard and say, you know, Hey, in the next 18 months, you have to have achieved this thing. And I think that's why I've been so successful is I never give up on any dream. Cause I'm like, as long as I'm here on earth, I get to keep pursuing this and I never feel shame for having not achieved something. Mm. So it, it feels like the combination of those two things, um, are, are why I'm still here pursuing yeah, all these crazy they so dreams. freaking
0: powerful. There's a couple of things that I was like, please remember, because I, I want to um, really go deep on. So <laughs> you said you allow yourself to imagine again, and that's what's helped you bridge the gap. How have you, though, not escaped in that direction? Because I think some people use that as an escape mechanism to not address what's actually going on. But you said you used it as a bridge. How did you do that?
1: Well, I always think, I mean, if you can visualize in specificity. Like if you can see it down to like the tiniest little detail, it makes it more real. It brings it closer to you. It, it sort of revs the energy and the motivation again. And so I think, you know, I didn't need it as an escape. And I don't know, honestly, like my life demands my presence. I don't have the option to numb out. I don't have the option to escape. You actually I do. So, can I stop or, that? Stop you there.
0: You actually yeah. do have, but you choose not to. And that's actually why I wanted right. to stop you, because it's even more right. powerful that you have. You can numb out. You could ignore your kids. You could let your business go bankrupt, right. but you choose not to. Right. And it's that mindset that I freaking love,
1: right? Well, I think, you know, it comes back to the idea of knowing your why. My children and my company are the two most important things in my whole life. And to to lose that would be, I just keep coming back to this idea of like, what are those core values? What are those things that sort of make you who you are? And I'm really into specifics. So if you don't know this about me, I'm very into like granular, what does this mean? So for me, it's not just like, I want to be a, I want to be a mom or I want to be a good mom. It's what does that mean to me? I do a ton of, I journal a ton. Whenever I'm trying to figure something out in my mind, I will just spend pages and pages sort of journaling what it means. And so I've done a ton of work. What does it look like for me to be an exceptional mother and how I am an exceptional mother will be different from everybody else. But if I can identify very specifically what that looks like for me or what does it look like for me to be an iconic leader, like who are the leaders that I admire? How do they show up? How does that manifest in my life? How can I get very specific? So if I can keep in those details, now I've got a roadmap. map. You know what I mean? Now I know, like the example I used this morning, which maybe seems silly, but if you have parents listening, it'll it'll maybe make sense. A big part for me of being a mom is family meals. It's it's just a bit. It was a big part of my childhood. It was truly one of the only good parts of my childhood. I had a lot of cooks in my family, and it was sort of a big deal to have meals together. And so, it's really important to me. Now, someone else would be like. My exceptional parenting looks like me being a room mom, right? I'm going to be the mom that volunteers in my kid's school. I'm going to make the crafts. I'm, that's my nightmare. That's like my worst nightmare. Like I would hate that. That's not what I think it is. But I freaking love that for somebody else. But if I know what it is to me to be a good mom, then I now have a roadmap. It's when people are ambiguous. Like everyone's like, they say, know your why, right? and and people know their why they're like oh i love my husband i you know i love my kids i want to have impact right but it's not enough to know your why if you don't know like how does your why manifest
0: you girl i love that so much um one of the many reasons why i love you we get along so well because of that mindset right and then i also heard you say about even just right now where you're in a new phase where you're learning things about what it's like to be a parent of um, divorced kids and i heard you say that you didn't just go online and research how am my like, divorced parents to deal with it? You were like, it's, we get along. Like, the amount of stuff that's out there right now, right, where it's like two parents hate each other, the advice is going to be very different. So I even love how specific you've got on the research that you're looking at in yes. order to get to that answer. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad,
1: For me, that's a big part of my success in business, and maybe this seems backwards to people, but I was an exceptional entrepreneur long before I was an exceptional mother. Mm -hmm. Like, it took me a while to learn how to be a mom. Um, It took me a while to like being a mom. Like, just straight up, I've been really honest about this. When my kids were little, I felt so overwhelmed, I drank too much, I didn't know how to cope, I was awful at it. And I felt so much shame because I wasn't I wasn't super bonded to them when they were little, when my oldest were little. And a couple of things, I always tell this story because I just know that there are other moms out there, maybe other dads who feel like I felt, and nobody admits it because you're never supposed to admit that you don't like it or that you feel shame or any of those things. And so I always tell this story because I truly started to approach parenthood the way i approached running a business okay are there books i can read are there podcasts i can listen to is there research that i can do can i test out things and see what works for me one right and then two also i just discovered i love older kids i'm not a huge fan of toddlers i'm not a, like I, if you have a baby i want to hold your baby but i want to give your baby <laughs> I'm not, I am not a mom. I really, I don't love being a mom of babies or toddlers. And that's why I was like, I'm the worst. I don't really like this. I'm the worst mom ever. And then my kids got older and I cannot express to you the joy that I have in my children and our relationships. And it was because I needed them to be old enough to be able to have a conversation with me. Once we can start talking and you're funny and you have weird stories and you want to tell me, we are on. But it took me time to sort of settle in and to learn that piece. So I know I'm going off on no, tangent, I love but just that. in case there's but anyone who needed to
0: hear that. It, look, it just reinforces, right, um, who you are. You show up, um, the real you. And look, it's like I absolutely know, and you absolutely, I'm sure, have seen and know that by saying that out loud, you're gonna get haters. You're gonna get people that are going to criticize you. you. And what I right. love is that it doesn't stop you. One thing actually you've mentioned multiple times in this conversation is shame. And man, let me tell you, right? How many women suffer from worrying about the shame of things? Um, talk talk right. to me about that because like, yeah, you've mentioned it multiple times. How on earth do you not let that stop you or hold you back?
1: Well. Yeah, the older I've gotten, the more I understand that people can only, like that negativity can only hit you if it's something you're actually insecure about. So when I was a younger mom, and I did feel shame about, oh my gosh, I don't really like this. And does that make me a horrible person, a horrible mother? And then someone would comment on social media and be like, I can't believe you have a nanny. I can't believe you don't stay home with your kids even though that person was being ridiculous, it still would pierce me to my soul, not because of what they said, but because of the way I was already feeling. And I think if you are affected by something negative someone is saying about you, it's only because on some level you're worried about that Mm -hmm. thing, right? And so for me, I can talk openly about how I am as a mom, And if someone says something, on, I would literally laugh. If I saw it, I would just be like, oh my gosh, you're a stranger. Why would I care what a stranger thinks about me as a parent? Now, there are certainly things that someone could say that would still hurt me because maybe it's something that I'm still working through. There's been incredible um, backlash from people on social media because of the divorce. And um, it does hurt my feelings because it – is aimed at me, it's not aimed at him. And it comes from women. And you know, cause you are my friends, that I've spent the majority of my adult life being in community for women, writing for women, speaking for women, creating thousands and thousands of pieces of free content for women. Like that's my life, women are my jam. And so to sort of get that backlash from the community in a way to me, that feels very antiquated of like, oh, how dare you as the woman, you know, not fight for this or whatever. Um, Not fight for your marriage? Oh, girl, I have had, I was on live stream yesterday and people were like, are you sure? But are you really sure there's not just some chance? And I'm like, you stranger (laughs) in Des Moines think that, I made this decision lightly, so lightly, in fact, that you on live stream right now that I'm gonna be like, oh, you know what, Cheryl, thank you. Let me, like, as if they know the full story, as if they understand, people oh, are out, so right? I had if-
0: no. sorry, I have no intention of talking about this, but why women? Like, why is it, girl, that we are in a situation where you have spent your life empowering women, and I've been a witness to it, I've been at your events, I've seen how people respond to you. You bring so much incredible value that it is mind-blowing how many lives you've changed. And yet, when you find yourself in a difficult time, you even said, people aren't um, saying it to Dave people are saying it to you and it's women that are saying it to you and i'm I, i'm not looking to just bash women right <laughs> we're women so i actu- oh, yeah. i actually want to understand what you what you think is going on where us women feel
1: like we have a right to tell other people how to live their lives right so i think the first reason that people would have a reaction to what's happening is that I have stepped outside of the perception that they had of me. So they had decided that I was one type of person, whatever that looked like for them. Um, a lot of the backlash comes from women of faith who are, you know, you're a sinner and you're, you know, going against God and all of these things. And so they had a perception of who I was and I've done something that feels shocking to them. And because I have stepped outside of who they thought I was, they feel like they have a right to attack. Another reason why people – because the backlash was um, you're fake. You're, you're fake. You're full of it, um, which I've, you know, I've told you in this podcast, and you know me. Being authentic is one of my greatest core values. And so uh, that's why it hurts me, right? Because it's the thing that I never would want someone to say about me. And so this idea that I am fake, you would say that because number one, you don't know the full story. Like nobody knows the full story. And of course they don't because it's my marriage. Like that's not fully on social media. And it's not a story that I'm going to tell. And so because you don't know the full story, you're making up your own assumptions about what has happened here. Or you haven't been paying attention. Maybe you don't know me very well because what I have shown you, what I've written about, spoken about on stage, spoken about in the podcast is being true to yourself, standing up for who you are, um, like not making yourself smaller for somebody else. Like all of these things that I have spoken to again and again and again, paired with Dave and I have had a podcast together for 18 months where we have talked about the things we struggle with, like how hard it's been, how much we're working on it, all the different things that we've tried. So it's like, if you think I'm fake, you are not paying attention. Because I think that this choice is the most truthful and authentic decision I have made in my adult life. Because I made a choice, and I am only saying this because he has publicly said it, I made the choice, I made the choice knowing that this backlash would come. I made the choice knowing that it would hurt my best friend. I made the choice knowing that it would hurt my family. I made the choice knowing that our community would be upset, that it would affect our business, all of those things. Because I would rather live authentically as who I am than keep up a facade because it makes other people feel more comfortable. So if I'm gonna get backlash over that, great because I would rather be myself and have you dislike me than have you keep some perception of me that is not real.
0: Wow, um, A, that takes freaking thick ass skin, strength, um, constant assessment, and um, you know, like kind of talk, self-talk to get you know, yourself through it. But there's, there's something else, Rachel, that I think is going on. And it's like, because when people turn around, they're like, they, I think you're fake. Why are they saying that? What is it about what they're going through their own lives that to them, they're perceiving it as being fake and that it bothers them and upsets them enough to react at you? Like there's, you know, obviously people say hurt people, hurt people. Uh, is that the phrase? Um mm-hmm. So, yeah. so like, that's what. I kind of want to talk about, and you know, I had no intention of going here, but there is something to how do we talk to those people right now that want to hate on you or hate on me or hate on certain people and say certain words that show them that maybe their hate is coming from a source of pain, that maybe they're. The way they're reacting, if we can shine a light and say, hey, look, maybe you're going through something difficult and I hear you. Let's assess that. And I know it's hard to do that, especially when you're getting backlash and have things thrown at you. But there's something here, right, that if we can talk to these people, then we can actually make real fucking change.
1: Yeah, I think to me, this is this has to be people who see things as this or that left or right like it's one thing or it's the other. They're not really maybe used to conceiving of things as um, sort of in the gray area or like a spectrum of possibilities. Because when you're saying that to me, it's because you saw pictures of my husband and I on social media, you saw videos, and you perceive that what you saw on social media was untrue. Because maybe you come from a world where someone can't have fun together, can't love each other, can't be great parents, and still have problems. Because that is the reality. You were never seeing anything on social that was untrue. You just weren't seeing the parts of it that didn't work or that were unhealthy. And why would you be allowed to see that? It would, it's totally unrealistic to imagine that everybody would show the parts that aren't working. So what you saw was sort of one vision and maybe you idealized what that was and thought that was the whole picture. And of course, that's never the whole picture. And I guess I would say, if that's the thing that you're coming back with, what I would, uh, you know, assuming that someone's open to listening to this conversation is ask yourself, when in your past has someone done something that you had the same reaction to because this is not the first time right and then keep going back so okay the okay the time before that where you saw someone and you were like he's fake okay great go back again was there someone else trace it back to the initial hurt where someone did something that you were not anticipating and now you see the world through a lens of everybody's two-faced nobody's telling the truth everyone's full of it no everyone's not full of it you maybe had an experience where someone showed themselves to be something other than you thought but it doesn't mean that everybody out in the world when they show up in a way you don't expect is purposely trying to hurt you or purposely trying to mislead you it's it's super unrealistic to assume that you know every single part of even the people who are closest to you, so why in the world would you think that you know every single part of me? And I would say, like, my best friends in the world didn't know that we were at the place that we were at until it was done. Like, they didn't know that this was happening. So it's like, if my best friends don't know how bad it's gotten, what on earth makes you think that you follower on Facebook are gonna know Those parts. Yeah, well, first
0: of all, you freaking blew my mind with that one. 100% it comes from something that you've been triggered from your past, whether it's from childhood or past experiences, and it immediately like that turns that on, and so you react. That was so freaking fire. Um, And I also want to touch on something that you said earlier where when you were feeling it, you just had to get it out. But that release valve is so precious. And um, For people who don't necessarily have a platform or do podcasts or things, how would you advise people to have that release valve when they're,
1: you know, at home and they're feeling all the
0: stress and they're, they're dealing with issues?
1: I mean, back in the day when I was in high school, I would write handwritten letters that I would never send. Uh, today, it might be a text that I write out that I delete, uh, emails that I write out that I delete. Uh, to me, the process of actually just like figuring out how you want to say what you want to say, And then you don't even need to send it, you know, inside of a breakup, right? Like as much as we are amicable, we want to make sure that the kids are doing great. We want to continue to still be a family. There's obviously deep emotions inside of this world. And like the amount of times that I have written something and then immediately deleted it. And I'm sure he's done the same thing because I'm like, this does not serve the outcome that I'm after. This is me speaking from a place of hurt, wanting my ego to like have it say, this doesn't actually do what I want it to do. And so it helps me to be able to put it down and then just get rid of it.
0: Oh my God, the amount of times I think that, because look, I can't necessarily fully control my emotions. Sometimes I have a reaction when I wish I didn't. Sometimes I'm hurt when I wish I didn't. Sometimes I'm angry when I wish I wasn't. but how I react to it, I go back to, does this serve my goal or not? And if it doesn't serve it, then right. feel it, but don't freaking react to it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think for me, um, my big thing, so I'm a child of divorce and my parents for maybe a decade couldn't even be in the same room, definitely couldn't talk to each other, um, was really difficult for A bunch of different reasons. But for me, I do not want that for my family. I do not want that for my kids. And even when it's hard, I just keep going back to like, what is the outcome that I'm after? The outcome is not my ego. The outcome is not me being right. The outcome is not that he knows all the different things. No. The outcome is the best possible scenario for our children. And the best possible scenario for our children is for us to have a great relationship as co-parents, even if we're not married to each other. Yeah.
0: God, that's amazing. I love that. Um, One thing I actually want to talk about, which I've heard you um, say and I freaking love, is people-pleasing. So with quarantine and being, you know, stuck indoors, a lot of us are going through our own issues. And so when something comes at us, we really want to make someone happy. We want to really please them. So that maybe we're not open about how we're really feeling. We're maybe not open about the struggles we're going through. So A, we don't want to make them just, um, uncomfortable, which I've heard you say, which is super powerful. And I really want to talk about. And then also the people pleasing part of it. And I've got a quote that says, um, if you don't care more about other people's opinions of you than your own opinion of you. And I was like, it's so true. How did you come to that conclusion though? Because I know that you've spoken about many times you, for years, you were living to please other people.
1: Yes. I mean, I think it wasn't a quick conclusion. And I think it was more, a lot of small tiny changes that inevitably led to, Me sort of evolving into a whole new person and then being able to look back in hindsight and understand that that's what I was doing was every time that I made myself smaller, every time that I downplayed myself, every time that I changed myself to sort of fit into someone else's ideal, I was killing a piece of myself. And I was doing it because I cared more about them liking me than I cared about being happy or being authentic or being free. One of the biggest problems facing women today is anxiety. If I'm on stage in front of 5,000 women and I say, who here struggles with extreme anxiety? 90% of the room is going to raise their hand. But if you are listening or watching this and you struggle with anxiety, one question I want you to ask yourself is, who are you trying to please? Because typically when I dive into this with women, the anxiety will we'll sort of boil it down and it'll come back to the anxiety stems from, you know, I'm in college and mom and daddy wanted me to be a lawyer, but I really wanted to pursue an arts degree. And now I'm living or the, the reverse, right? I'm an artist, but mom and daddy wanted me to be a lawyer. So I went to law school. I hate every single second of it. I hate my life. But oftentimes women can't even connect the people-pleasing to the anxiety because they live that anxiety every day and in some cases have lived with it for years. And so it doesn't occur to them that it's connected to something else. Um, there's this Jim Carrey quote that says, um, uh, it's not all things, and I feel like I'm going to upset people right now because I'm going to talk about depression. There's a Jim Carrey quote, not a Rachel Hollis quote, but he says, depression is your avatar telling you that it's tired of the role that you keep pretending to play so it's like that your true self is something else you keep trying to play a certain role that does not fit and your apathy toward life or your dissatisfaction towards life is your spirit your soul your essence saying this doesn't fit this is not who i am this is not what i want and not the same thing and obviously Um, in, you know, depression, clinical depression, certain types of anxiety, panic, like I am the queen of mental health, see a therapist, take your meds, do what you need to do, like all of those things. So I'm not suggesting for a second, that true clinical um, illnesses are something that you can treat in a different way. But it is worth asking, if you are struggling with anxiety, asking yourself, is there someone in your life or are there situations in your life where you feel like you are trying to be someone that feels very hard for you to be? Are you trying to have the perfect body? Are you trying to be the perfect daughter? Are you trying to be the perfect mom or wife? Are you trying to look a certain way? Are you trying to fit into a certain group of people? That I I think this gets established for us as women very young you know, we're in middle school or even elementary school and we really want to fit in. We want to be like the popular girls. We want to be over there. And we have this anxiety of, if I could just look a certain way, act a certain way, have a certain amount of money, then I will fit in and therefore I will be loved. And so I feel like many of us have had this sort of underlying issue from the time we were little, that it doesn't even occur to us that there's another way to live. And I'm speaking from personal experience. I had and debilitating anxiety for years. And I can look back and see very clearly, it's because I'm waking up every single day and I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not. And I'm surrounded by people who keep reinforcing that that's the version of me that they will love best. And I can't keep up. And I do my very best during the day. And then at night I drink, you know, and I numb out and I don't think about it. So um, understanding how much of my life I was trying to seek the approval of other people was um, so freeing for me. Wow. What did that first? And I was going to say lots of therapy. Like I did so much therapy to learn how to deal with my anxiety. Um, I got healthy physically, mentally, all of the things. But that was truly the first step was understanding. I always think that if you can understand the root cause, you have the keys to the kingdom. And for me, it was living a huge part of my life. Um, trying to please trying to please others
0: yeah I love that um, I would be completely remiss if I wasn't um, if I didn't get to talk to you about how much if I could give you a a crown I would be the crown queen pivot um, you are freaking amazing at pivoting and let's just talk about business for a second your entire business is predicated on live events right predicated on live events and everybody else in the world who has businesses that's let's say a brick and mortar um things like that are all feeling exactly how you feel it's like oh my god i've just spent all this time energy my passion my love is in this business and poof, it's gone now most people girl will sit back lick their wounds be like oh my god and just wait for corona to end and you immediately like cool what's the other version of this. And you pivoted like that. I literally blinked and all of a sudden you've got like this online event and it's freaking epic. And it was so freaking impressive. So how freaking on earth do you pivot so quickly? It looks easy, but I'm never going to dismiss you as it being easy. So I assume there's so much freaking work that goes on behind the scenes where you choose not to Netflix and chill, but instead you pivot to uh, to lead, right? Do a new thing that's never been done before.
1: There is no other option. To me, I know, I, I know there is an answer for every single struggle we have, every point of tension, everything, there's an answer. Am I strong enough to find it? Remains to be seen, but I know the answer exists. And so when faced with going into quarantine, I had, you know, back in the day, I wouldn't have seen this as a positive. But now I'm like, Oh, thank God, I had a business in 2008, 2009. So I have been through a recession before I've had to lay people off before I've been and I, in that instance, pivoted because it was pivot or die. You know, that old expression that says, if you want to take the island, burn the boats. And for me, there are times in life where life has burned my boats. So 2008 recession, burned my boats. And I had a staff and I had a company that I'm very proud of. And it was like, you better freaking figure this out. It's sink or swim. And when we went into the same situation, it was an instant. I had a week. I did have a week where I fell back on bad habits. I drank, I was eating. I, I, I was freaking out because I knew at the beginning of March, mid-March, I felt like the world, or at least the US, really hadn't contemplated what this was going to be. Like, if we're not able to have these events, if we're not able to do these things, then even if I have cash reserves, I will start to hemorrhage because I'm going to have to give people their money back for events that they've already bought tickets to. I'm going to have to cover staff when we have no revenue. So I could see it, which is why I started drinking. And I let myself have about a week. I was like, all right, have good, have good anxiety, have good cry, you know, eat too many nachos. And now we gotta get to work. And for me, it always comes back to the people, you know, I have 60 employees, they have families, they have car payments, they have groceries. And when you own a business, Yes, you are hiring people to come in and work with you, but these people are also buying into your vision. They are—they are—you know—they can work all kinds of different places. This is a million ways to pay your bills, but these people have said, "I believe in you as a leader." And remember, I told you I'm very specific about what to me an iconic leader is. An iconic leader to me is a servant leader. It's someone who cares deeply. Who is a servant to the people that they lead. They care deeply about who is on their team. They care deeply about their growth. And I am passionate about these people. And so for me, it's just never over. There's always a way. And just the how is I literally sat at my desk at my office and I was like, come up with ways to make money right now. Like, just brainstorm all the ideas I could think of. Um, okay, we've got to. First of all, you got to halt everything that you were doing that's not currently bringing revenue in. So all our big projects, everything that was in the works, press pause because we can't have any outflow. We need to get rid of all of our existing products. We need to sell out our products so that we have that cash because cash is queen. We need to have that cash. And then I had to get really creative. Um, Okay, could we do a conference virtually? And the reason you saw it happen so fast is because – I wanted to be first to market. Oh, yeah. I knew that there was real power. I knew that people were going to pivot. And I knew that they were going to go that way. And I thought, man, if we could be the first people to figure this out in this space, we will set a standard. And we did. And we had, you know, over 50,000 attendees from 83 different countries. And, yeah, so that was why the pivot. Because people are counting on me. And I will not let them down. Because letting them down would be letting myself down. And then you just figure it out because yeah. the answers are out there.
0: Girl, everything with you really is like the power belief, right? The the willingness to do the hard work, the willingness to look nakedly at your inadequacies that we both like, <laughs> yes. my elephant's that we both love. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's the fact that you're willing to do that. And that's like what is so freaking powerful about you is that. Um, you are normal in the most beautiful sense, right? That you, and myself, it's like people, if they can look and see, you weren't born with a magic spoon. You weren't born with a special spell. You have taken the hits. You've looked at what works. You have a belief system that you live by. And when it comes to it, in moments where you were falling to your knees, you still live by that code of ethics and you live by that (laughs) mindset. So... um, yeah, girl, I could talk to you for hours. You are an incredible inspiration. Um, I think how you are handling every ounce of your growth in this process is such a beauty to watch. Um, where can people find this new book that's coming out um, and this uh, this, yeah. this next live event online that you're going to do that you're about to announce? Uh,
1: so, yeah, so all the, all the good stuff that we do as a company you can find on thehollisco.com. And the book, you can pre-order anywhere books are sold.
0: Amazing girl.
1: Guys, guys, follow this woman if you're not already, which
0: of the very few if you're not. This woman, honestly, a dose of freaking inspiration, motivation, and real talk. So go check her out. Check out her book. Check out everything she's ever done, her talks. Everything's freaking impactful. Go check her out. If you're not following me, guys, follow me at Lisa Billiou. If you're not subscribed and this episode brought you value, click that subscribe button down there. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace out.